welcome to the digital download. I'm Kate Hamer. I run a marketing and digital consultancy, Kate Hamer Limited. I've worked in large brands like Unilever, Disney and L'Oreal for over 15 years and a decade of that in digital. And I know how hard it can be to keep up to date with everything that happens just in a single week in digital. So this podcast will hopefully give you a bit of a summary of the latest news and I'll also discuss key topics in the industry. Thanks to everyone who's downloaded it. Do subscribe if you're on iTunes and leave a review. And thanks again to people who are sending me feedback. It's super helpful and hopefully you will be witnessing improvements episode to episode. Keep it coming. I want this to be your podcast. So please do tweet me at Kate Hamer Limited or email kate at katehamer.com with any feedback, questions or topics that you would like me to cover. This week we will have the usual roundup of news from social networks. I'll do a summary of the Apple Worldwide Developers Conference, bit of a discussion around chatbots and finishing up with a beginner's guide to big data. Without further ado, we will get into the events of last week, starting with social media. First of all, just some industry news in general. So a Reuters study has shown that amongst 18 to 24 year olds social media has overtaken tv as their main news source 28 percent of them cited social media compared to 24 percent for tv it also shows 51 percent of people with online access use social media as a news source when you look at the breakdown on smartphone in the UK, the first source of news is a news website or an app with 48% and then social media with 33%. Just a bit of background on the study, it's of 50,000 people across 26 countries, including 2,000 Britons. Uh, across all countries, Facebook is the top social network for news with 44% followed by YouTube at 19% and then Twitter at 10% and interestingly WhatsApp at 8%. Obviously dark social we talked about on last week's podcast and that's a prime example of people sharing news on a messaging app. They were also asked about news being chosen by algorithm. You might have seen in the news recently Facebook were being accused of tailoring the news that they were showing to people. Uh, when these people were surveyed, 36% said that they like news based on what they've read before and 22% were happy for their news agenda to be based on what their friends had read. But 30% would like there to be some sort of human intervention because there's a fear that um, without sort of editors and journalists, it might be creating bubbles where you only see like-minded stories. Right, on to the specific social networks. Facebook first. Facebook has launched some new tools which will help retailers to understand if their mobile ads are driving people into store and if they're subsequently making a purchase. So this has been the the holy grail really for advertisers in terms of they... The gut feel is that advertising on Facebook is a good thing to do but there's never been the measurement that they'd like to be able to back up that investment so these new metrics are going to be embedded into facebook's ads reporting system 
one element is an interactive map called Store Locator, uh, which can be used as part of location-targeted mobile ads. So within the advert, people can click on the map, get information about the shop's address, opening times, phone number, the website, estimated travel time to it, etc. And then that uh, can be married up against Facebook's data within the store visits metric, where Facebook can track a phone's location to determine how many people saw the ad and then visited the retailer. There's also a new Facebook API called Offline Conversions API, which will mean that retailers can start to match data from their own customer databases or point of sale and marry it against Facebook's advertising data. So they've not given a huge amount of detail on exactly how this happens. It might be that it's potentially email addresses from loyalty cards or maybe beacons in store. M&S and Burger King UK are apparently already using the tools. And Facebook are saying that they think this really gives them an edge over Google because both Facebook and Google obviously have huge scale, but they feel that this sort of data is giving Facebook more depth. They already signed a deal with Tesco-owned Dunhumby back in April to map their data against Facebook's to see the impact of ads for on sales for FMCG brands. So they are really doing lots to work towards this holy grail to be able to say how their ads are impacting in-store behaviour, which is really interesting. And I will definitely be watching that space and reporting back to you as results start to come out. Just a, a nice little Easter egg thing on Facebook in Messenger at the moment. If you send the football emoji to a friend, you can then have a game of keepy uppy within the Messenger app. You might have seen the basketball version they did during March Madness, but they've done a little thing for Euro 2016. So have a look for that. On to LinkedIn. Microsoft bought LinkedIn for $26.2 billion this week. That's the largest ever acquisition that Microsoft have made. With 430 million members, that means they've valued each one at more than $60 each. So I'm sure you're all on LinkedIn. Your, your profile is worth over $60. They say uh, that the combination of Microsoft's cloud and LinkedIn's network mean they can change the way the world works and the deal's expected to be completed by the end of the year. I think it could be a real game changer for business. Microsoft can obviously integrate LinkedIn features with work workplace applications like Microsoft Office 365. So it could be really interesting. I also saw someone say in a blog that they were hoping that this would almost professionalise LinkedIn more because there do seem to be some naff photos and memes creeping into LinkedIn and perhaps people will make it far more professional if it's linked in with workplace applications. There was also an interesting piece in The Drum where they put this purchase into context by showing what other brands Microsoft could have bought with a similar amount of money. So they could have bought RBS for $26.5 billion. Pampers for 26.3 billion, Budweiser for 25.9 and then they also did some company combos so they could have bought Red Bull, Jeep and Pizza Hut for 25.9 billion or Whole Foods, Dove and Royal Mail for 26.6 billion. On to Twitter, 
Twitter have been doing some investing themselves. So they've invested $70 million in the music streaming service SoundCloud. SoundCloud has 175 million users worldwide. I think Twitter did consider buying SoundCloud back in 2014, but abandoned the deal. There were issues when SoundCloud first launched in that they didn't have licensing deals with music uh, record companies, music publishers, etc., which they have now. So it's a more legitimate service in the music business. And back in March, they launched SoundCloud Go, which is a subscription service for $10 a month, or you can have a free version where you get advertising similar to Spotify. So a SoundCloud spokesperson has said that this will enable SoundCloud to remain focused on building value for creators and listeners alike. From a Twitter perspective, I think it will really help them in terms of their entertainment aspect of their service. They'll obviously be able to have kind of exclusives or different ways of showing content within their tweets. And Twitter have also this week introduced emoji-based targeting. Um, There'll be new options in Twitter ads. The features available through Twitter's Select Ads API partners so not directly on their platform at the moment, but it means you can target people who've tweeted or engaged with tweets that feature a certain emoji. So if someone's used a pizza emoji, for example, maybe a pizza company would want to target them with an offer. There's been 110 billion emojis tweeted since 2014, and uh, date for your diary, apparently it is World Emoji Day on the 17th of July, so uh, don't miss that one. Pinterest, while I've been out and about this week, I've noticed that Pinterest are running some outdoor ads on digital bus stop screens around London. They look great, really clean ads. They illustrate a search that you might do on there and tell a a whole story really. So one that I saw starts with a problem, like Glasto loses sparkle when my hair gets greasier than the street food. Then the next page shows a search for sparkle and hair and almost sort of scrolls up on the screen so that you can see different pins for sparkle hair and then ends saying your next sparkle hair idea and there's various different ones that illustrate a search that you might do on Pinterest and how it could solve a problem. I'll put some images on the companion page on my website this week for you to see. Snapchat, a couple of things on Snapchat. So they have released an advertising API called Snapchat Partners. So now you can buy ads on the platform through third-party collaborators. You don't just have to deal directly with Snapchat. This is obviously going to be key for them in terms of increasing the volume of their ads that they can sell on the platform and really starting to generate some revenue from them. It'll integrate into existing sponsored video stories, so you can buy those that way, but they'll also have snap ads between stories, and they will show to users when they're watching all of their friends' stories, they'll be, quite literally, in between those stories. You can still skip them, and Snapchat are saying they want to keep it to a low frequency, and that they're inspecting every single one of the adverts that is purchased. Sponsored lenses and geo filters won't be integrated into that API for now. And they're saying that these new snap ads between stories won't start showing up for a few weeks. But I did see one yesterday when I was looking at my friend's stories. I actually can't remember what it was for, which is bad because I should have been paying attention, if nothing else, for this podcast. But 
it came in as a video. It, I didn't recognise who it was. And obviously I'd looked at the list of friends in my stories beforehand. So I just reflex tapped it and it disappeared. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how users react and if they're getting full view through rates. I'm not sure about the analytics that will be combined with this. That's obviously going to be key because advertisers are going to want to know how many times they had an impression effectively and how many times people actually watched it through to the end. So that's social media for this week. On to a section on messaging and an introduction to chatbots. Jerry Dakin wrote a blog about them this week. Again, I'll put the link on the companion page on the website because this term is being used more and more they're effectively computer programs designed to engage in written conversation with people. And it's quite good in Jerry's blog. He's saying in some ways it's nothing new because if you think how we used to interface with computers 30 years ago, we'd type in a command line interface. But now these chatbots can go so much broader. We're carrying our phones with us that have messaging apps like Skype, WhatsApp, Messenger, Viber, Line, WeChat, etc. So we've got them permanently with us and we've got those threads of communication open. So we could soon just be sending messages to book flights, order taxis, send gifts, etc. And that's gifts, not gifts, but we do send a lot of gifts as well. Uh, so he breaks them down into four types of bot transactional, so e-commerce exchanges, perhaps track orders or place a simple new one, perhaps if it's a replenishment thing. Customer service, so having your entire engagement with a company being seamless through Messenger, KLM letting you check in flights or maybe changing flight details. Subject matter bots, so real experts in their field, so CNN's news summarizer bot would be an example of that. And finally, entertainment, so really delighting or entertaining consumers, offering humorous exchanges, drips of content, an example Jerry gives is the ability to chat with one of the Muppets, for example. So it's definitely an area that brands should start to think about now. There are some hurdles. People don't necessarily know what chatbots are. I think it's a prime example of the kind of jargon that happens in the industry that sometimes makes things more complicated than they are. And that would be the big thing for me. If you want to use it as a brand, then you really need to be starting from a customer needs perspective and develop something that's really useful and actually natural in terms of the way that you would use it. And then it doesn't really matter what it's called because there's a clear reason to get involved with it. On to a summary of Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference last Monday. Main points that came out from that, there's going to be an iOS 10 release in autumn and it sounds like it's going to be the biggest update that they've done since iOS 7 in 2013, which was a total redesign. Lots of exciting improvements coming. Again, there's links on the companion page to full details of all of this because it would take a long time to go through them all. But some highlights for you. Being able to delete the apps from Apple that you don't want, that I'm really going to appreciate because I like my folders to be nice and tidy. More advanced notifications on your lock screen so you can actually answer emails, add things to calendar all without unlocking your device. And that'll be using 3D Touch. Third party apps are going to be able to interact with Siri. So you could voice control Spotify, for example. 
They're just opening it to six broad categories of apps to start off with. Fitness, payments, ride booking, messaging, photos and VoIP calling. Siri's also coming to Mac. It won't integrate with apps but can do desktop specific tasks like searching for documents. Siri's also going to use machine learning to give intelligent suggestions in conversation. So, for example, if someone asks you in a message, where are you? Siri can suggest you send your current location without typing anything in. I do worry that Siri could end up getting you in trouble if you're pretending to be somewhere else. Siri could almost become um, like when you're avoiding a call and your dad answers the phone and goes, yeah, she's right here. So uh, I'm going to have to watch Siri on that. Photos are going to have facial recognition and you'll be able to build al albums based on faces in photos. Uh, iMessage. So we talked on last week's show about the rumour that iMessage was potentially going to be available on Android. There was nothing about that. But again, there's a video on the companion page. There are a lot of great features coming to iMessage and it seems that it's really turning into Apple's social network. They said it's the most used app on the iPhone. It's going to include things like being able to have invisible ink where you sort of clear the message away to read the writing behind it, handwritten messages, using the whole screen for messages, being able to emojify a message. So it will, when you've written all the words in, highlight to you the words you could replace with emoji. So lots of cool things there. Check the video out. And then there's also going to be some updates to the Apple Watch with lots of changes again, including faster load times for apps and easier navigation. So no new products were announced, but lots of great developments on existing products all coming in the autumn. Search engines, not a huge amount to report on search engines this week. The green ad labels on AdWords ads seem to have rolled out now on search pages on both desktop and mobile. There was a lovely story this week around a Twitter user at Push10Ben who had opened his nan's laptop and discovered that she uses please and thank you in her search queries. So she'd said something like, please tell me what this, is, what this is in Roman numerals. Thank you. And Google UK tweeted saying, dearest Ben's nan, hope you're well. In a world of billions of searches, yours made us smile. It's really great when brands get involved in those kind of things if they go viral and just get involved in the conversation. So that was lovely. Another very positive thing in a week that has not had the greatest news in the world is that Microsoft is finding clues to pancreatic cancer in Bing. So you might have seen the story a few years ago where Target correctly assumed that a teenage girl was pregnant before she even knew herself and that was due to looking at purchase behaviour and searches leading up to that point. Well, perhaps a more worthwhile version of that came out this week where Microsoft scientists are using search queries to identify internet users suffering from pancreatic cancer and then looking backwards in terms of what they searched so that they could see if people could be diagnosed earlier, if there are particular symptoms or similarities that people maybe don't realise are indicating that they've got pancreatic cancer. 
There's a really low five-year survival rate for pancreatic cancer of only 3%, but early screening can increase that to 5 to 7%. So I think this is an absolutely brilliant use of data and could be really valuable in uh, the medical field. So good to see that good can come of data. On to e-commerce. Brandwatch have done a study, the first global retail social index, where they have ranked brands based on visibility sentiment mentions. So they've looked at over 10 million interactions across Facebook and Twitter over a four month period and then scored retailers over five categories, social visibility, general visibility, net sentiment, reach growth and engagement and content. Amazon came top with 356 out of 500, followed by Etsy, 337, eBay, 329, Tesco were in fifth place with 320, M&S came 11th with 295, and Debenhams came 15th. They actually got a perfect score in social engagement and content with 100 out of 100. Out of the networks, Facebook was the leader in engagement with consumers. They were almost three times more likely to share branded content than they would on Twitter. And women are more likely to comment on a retail's, retail brand's social media post rather than men. You can see a link to the whole study on the companion page. A few little things on brands this week. I won't bore you with too much football. I know I went on about it last week, but just a quick mention for Innocent Drinks. I'll put the video on the companion page on my site. They did a brilliant video this week showing why football was so important to them. So I was speaking last week on the show about the fact that even if it's a big national or global event happening, if it's not really a legitimate area for you to talk about, don't get involved with it. Well, Innocent have kind of proven me wrong in that they've done a mickey-taking video really out of the way that they could try and shoehorn their brand into football. But by doing that, they've actually been able to be part of the conversation, which is brilliant. So check that out. Coca-Cola shared some videos this week on their company Twitter account. So at Coca-Cola Co, where they've got three quarters of a million followers. And they were encouraging people not just to watch their three new adverts, but they also had videos where they were interviewing the marketing team behind the adverts. And this is part of their hashtag Coke journey stories where they're telling people why they came up with the idea and what the ad symbolizes. I thought that was quite interesting as a way to create extra content that you can be telling more of a story to your consumer. That account has a smaller following than the main Coca-Cola account, which has 3 million followers but still three quarters of a million people telling them about your ads and why you came up with them is a really open way to do business. And another stat that fascinated me this week was from Starbucks. They have $1.2 billion loaded onto Starbucks cards and and their mobile app as of the first quarter of 2016. So that's more money than some banks are holding. It just really shows how behaviour is changing and how we shop and pay for things these days. To end the show, I'm just going to do a small section on B 
big data. So this is where I look at industry buzzwords and talk about them in a bit more detail. So if you are a digital whiz and you are fully up to speed with big data, then you can stop listening now. Thanks for joining us. Do send me any feedback and hopefully see you next week. For those of you that are left, we can get on to big data. So it's obviously not a new term in the industry, but I think it's an important one. And obviously people are constantly coming to digital fresh, so it's worth covering. I do also cover sort of oldie but goodie content on my website blog from time to time. So things that perhaps were done a couple of years ago, but are still valid in terms of talks or videos and things. So check that out as well. So big data can sometimes be seen as quite a scary term. People think it's very complicated. They're not sure what it means. And really, it's just data. The only reason that it's called big data is because the amount of data we now generate in the world is so much larger and also faster and in real time than ever before. I think something like 90% of all data in the world has been created in the last few years. So we're creating it at an immense rate. And it would almost be impossible to go a day without generating any data as a person. If you think about when you're traveling, whether you're in your car, you might have a sat nav. If you're on the tube, you'll have Oyster. If you're walking, you might have wearable tech like a Fitbit or a jawbone. You might be walking past CCTV cameras. You're creating data all the time from an entertainment point of view when you're watching Netflix or Amazon Prime or even Virgin Media, Sky, listening to Spotify. All of that is building data in terms of your viewing preferences, what you've watched, why, etc. Social interactions, obviously social media, but also dark social like we talked about last week in terms of messaging apps like WhatsApp, shopping obviously your purchase history, what you've looked at on websites, Uh, even walking your dog. If your dog is chipped against being um, stolen, then that in itself creates some data when you're walking your dog. So it can sound scary, a bit big brother, but if brands really use this data in the right way, it can mean that they can deliver truly brilliant products and services to their customers. And that open and honest exchange with customers showing the value that they're going to get in return for giving you this data actually they're far more likely to be happy to give you the data i saw a good talk by tracy follows who's a futurist recently and she was saying that she can see a time where rather than consumers signing up to terms and conditions like the itunes terms and conditions it would actually be brands signing up to an individual's terms and conditions which i think is a really interesting concept and certainly something that I could also see in terms of people saying what they are prepared to share and what they're not. Of course a lot of data is also anonymized and aggregated which will show trends so things like through Google Analytics um, and that can help you target lookalikes of your most valuable clients. It can help you improve the purchase process on your website to make it most likely that people will convert. And all of this data can also help you remove risk in your business. So a great example is Netflix when they commissioned House of Cards. In the past, TV commissions have always been 
to a large extent on gut feel about whether you think a show is going to be successful or not. But with 30 million users on the Netflix platform, they were able to look at their behavior and look at their uh, interaction with other shows that were directed by David Finch, with other shows that Kevin Spacey was in, with the Brit version of House of Cards itself. And looking at all of that data together, they knew that they were onto a winning formula with the US version of House of Cards. So you really need to make sure that you're set up right. You want to make sure that you've prepared and you know what data you need and how you're going to use it. Don't just collect data for data's sake. You know, if you're running a competition where you just need someone's email address to let them know that they've won, then don't ask everyone for their postal address and their mobile number because people will think, why do you need all of this information? You're not going to use it. And the key thing is that data is nothing without insight. So just having a whole raft of data without knowing how you're going to look at it and what you're going to create as actions from the insight that you can get from it is pointless. So you really want to be making sure that you are clear before you start collecting data on how you're going to use it and what that's going to mean for your business. And if you can be open and honest with your consumers about what you're collecting and what they'll get in return, then I think they will be far more open to share that data. Obviously, when you're collecting this sort of volume of data, you need a proper place to store it it's not the sort of thing that you can just do on a few Excel spreadsheets. And so there are lots of different providers of database solutions where you can be storing all this information in the cloud. The visualization of that data is also really key because you want it to be able to be used by your whole business. Data scientists are obviously very important in terms of setting it up initially and looking at how you can analyze that data, but the output from it, you want your whole business to be able to access it. And again, there are tools uh, such as Tableau, which enable you to pull in lots of different feeds of data into dashboards so that it can be living data that's really used right across your business. So it's key to make sure that you've got the right people internally. That's going to take time. There's not enough data experts and scientists in the industry for the amount of roles that there are but there's brilliant agencies that can help you to start off with and it's just about being really clear with your brief in the first place about what it is that you're trying to achieve and that is absolutely what you will know as marketeers and then it's the job of agencies or data scientists to work back from that to make sure that data is being collected in the right way and that uh, it will be able to be become actionable insight. And of course, the other important thing is the security of that data. Make sure that you have legal guidance in terms of your privacy policies, what you say to your consumers about how the data is used, how they can remove themselves from your database if they don't want to be there. I don't think consumers realize at the moment just how much data they are giving away, but I think they will soon. And that could be a problem if you've not got it right. So that's a quick bit on big data. Thank you very much for listening to the digital download. Do as I keep saying, let me know what you think. Tweet at Kate Hamer Limited or email kate at katehamer.com. I am lining up some guests for the next few episodes as well. Uh, so if there are any particular people you want to hear from, let me know and have a fabulous week. <laughs>